the microphone. Remember, we've got people that are watching on Facebook, so if you have a question, just raise your hand, and I will try to run this mic as quick as I can over to you so that way we can all benefit to, to hear your comment or to hear your question. Um, let's go ahead and go to verse 1 this morning here. Let me pull up the PowerPoint. <clears throat> all right. Let's go ahead and read verse 1 together. In the first year of Darius... Son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, one thing I want to point out again, this for the sake of us knowing where we are in the chronology of this book, is uh, if you remember, this all takes place in the first year of Darius. If you look at Daniel's chapter, Daniel chapter 6, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 11, not chapter 12, but all three of those chapters take place in the first year of Darius. We covered a little bit of this last Sunday. Um, uh, chapter 6, if you remember, was Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. So chronologically speaking, what we're reading here takes place right after that event. Now, everybody remembers Daniel in the lion's den, right? We're all on the same page there. So if you remember, how did they catch Daniel? What was the only way that they could catch Daniel? Was he, do, could he, was he doing anything wrong that you could point out? Huh? He was praying. <clears throat> That's right. So they made that, that funny law, right, that silly law to try to trap him that only the king could be worshipped for that entire month. And, of course, they knew that Daniel wouldn't go along with that. Mrs. Peck, I'm so, I just realized you're here this morning. I'm so glad you're feeling better. Amen. Good. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but the problem was what? Daniel is not going to do this. And they knew it. Okay? Now, the question is, what was Daniel praying about? Well, guess what? Since we know that this is also in the first year of Darius and chronologically takes place right after the lion's den, now you're going to get an insight into what Daniel has been praying about. And what we saw in verse 1 at the very first section is, is that he's praying about this prophecy that was given to the prophet Jeremiah about the 70 years. Remember what we said last Sunday. We said that Daniel knows that the 70 years is up, or at least close to being up. And so it's really bothering him. He really wants to get to the bottom of, okay, Lord, we know that there's something major prophetically about the transition, about the change. And so he's, he's praying about that. So let's, let's look at verse 2 again. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord <clears throat> given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, he knows, he realizes that it's been about 70 years. He's curious. He wants to know exactly when the 70 years is going to be up. The question is, is that if you are in Daniel's time period and you're trying to figure out when these 70 years are going to be up, where do you start counting, right? Where, where does it begin? You know, does it, does it start counting when, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, his dad, Nabonidus took over? Do you start counting at the beginning of the Babylonian period? Um, do you start counting when, you know, Daniel was, was taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon? Do you start counting there? Um, you know, do you, do you begin later when, uh, uh, well, I think it was like two years later, Nebuchadnezzar came back, had the second siege of Jerusalem. He took 10,000 more. Do you start counting there? Uh, what about 586 BC at the third siege? That was, you know, that was a pretty big event, right? 
The temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The gold was taken to Babylon. Do you start counting at that point? Again, we don't know. He doesn't know when to start counting. He just knows that he himself has lived almost 70 years. He was taken into Babylonian captivity, and so he knows it has to be about time. So let's look at the text briefly that Daniel was studying. Once you take your Bible, flip over to Jeremiah chapter 25 with me really quick. Jeremiah chapter 25. We're going to focus on 11 through 12 this morning, just for a minute. Jeremiah chapter 25, 11 through 12. And uh, anybody want to read it for me? I've got a microphone ready for you. Okay, thanks, Sandy. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Okay. Now, I want you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a minute. If, if this is the scripture and this is all you have to go on, this is the prophecy that he's studying, the one that he's praying about, and you're trying to find out when these, these 70 years are going to be up, the only thing the text says here is that when the 70 years are done, God's going to punish the Babylonian kingdom, right? Okay. Well, now, from Daniel's point of view, he could be sitting there going, okay, now, has that, has that been fulfilled, right? He's a Bible prophecy student. Um, you know, it's kind of like today, you know, sometimes when you're trying to pay attention to Bible prophecy and you're looking at the news and you're seeing things that might be shaping up and kind of fitting and you don't really know for sure, right? Some people really take things too far and they'll say, this event happens in the news and this must be happening and fulfilling. I don't know. Sometimes you can't be that dogmatic about things because God hasn't given you all the information. And so you could certainly say that God punished the king of Babylon, right? You could say that. What happened to Belshazzar? What happened to Belshazzar? Anybody remember? That was two Sundays ago. I know it's hard. What did you say? Mine, mine, tekel upharsin, right? So you had the, the handwriting on the wall. And we know from history, not long later, that he died, right? So you could say uh, that the king of Babylon was punished. Um, what about the Babylonian kingdom? Was it punished? It was conquered, right? Was it, con- was it destroyed? No. Remember... Babylon was taken without a fight, right? They came in under the, under the night. They, they lowered the Euphrates River, and they came in in the, in the cloak of night. Very fascinating, amazing uh, militarily, absolutely. So does this mean that, okay, so since this has happened, are the 70 years up? It, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that based upon what Daniel has to go on, I can see his confusion because he could easily look at, um, uh, what's his name over here, the, the, the king, because he's been placed in charge of Babylon again. Babylon has not fallen. Babylon is still there. It's just changed management, right? So he might be thinking, okay, wait a minute. Is it up? Is it not? And then look at this. At the very end of Jeremiah's prophecy, uh, Sandy, do you still have it open? Yes. Okay, would you read one more time uh, the very last verse, verse 12? Then it will be when 70 years are completed. I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, 
for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Okay. Now, can you see Daniel's confusion? Because what does the prophecy say the destiny of Babylon is going to be? Destruction. Everlasting destruction. In fact, there's many other prophetic passages in the Old Testament that talk about it, and it says that it will become a place of, of uh, jackals will, go, will live there. It'll be places where the birds will dwell. It says that there won't be a human that'll live there anymore, right? Well, from Daniel's perspective, has that happened? No. So again, it causes some confusion. In fact, Cyrus, the Persian, has just made Darius the ruler of Babylon. I mentioned that a moment ago. So Babylon is still there. It's still in rule. Okay, But see, this is where I think you and I have a little bit of insight that Daniel didn't get to have. And, and that is that all the, the new prophecy that has come to us since the time of Daniel and since you and I now live thousands of years later on the other side of history, we get to look back and see things from a little bit more clearer perspective. Um, Book of Revelation. And here's something that I want to mention. This is that dichotomy that we talk about with Bible prophecy. Remember what we said. God will oftentimes set up an image or a type on one hand, and there will be a partial fulfillment, but then that is setting up a model or an example for something that will come later that will have an even fuller fulfillment. Does that make sense? Okay? So here's what I did one time. I, took, uh, I decided to do a Bible study on Babylon. That sounds like some exciting reading, doesn't it? One of my favorite studies of the Bible, man. Let's do it. And what you do is you start in Genesis, you take a concordance, you go through the entire Bible. I, I really encourage you guys to do this. If you really want to get a grasp of what the Bible says on a subject, just take a concordance and go through the whole Bible, look at every passage. But I took out a piece of paper and I said, okay, wait a minute. I want to understand this here because I understand Daniel's confusion. Because if the Bible passage says that after 70 years, Babylon is going to be completely destroyed, if I'm taking that extremely literally and not thinking about it prophetically, then I'm wondering what in the world is going on. Because has, has the prophecy failed? And I don't think Daniel thinks this, right? But this is how we can interpret sometimes Bible prophecy. But this is like a little exercise to give us a window into how to understand Bible prophecy. Because again, the Western mindset thinks that a, a prophecy is point action fulfillment, right? But that's not the Eastern understanding of prophecy. Again, it's cyclical. Think about prophecy as cyclical. Things can have fulfillments, you can fulfill something up so far, and then later on it sets it up to be fulfilled all the way, okay? So let me give you an example. I took out a piece of paper, and I went through, and I wrote down every single passage that has to do about um, uh, uh, Babylon. And here's what I discovered. Half the passages in the Bible talk about two different types of the fall of Babylon. You have what's called the fall of Babylon, which is what you and I just witnessed, right? This is... Uh, Babylon falling without a battle. It becomes, you know, Alexander's capital later on. It basically atrophies over the centuries. And even during the time of, uh, what's his name that was ruling Saddam Hussein, uh, back when he was alive, he was actually trying to rebuild Babylon. That was one of his big projects, okay? Well, so my point is, is that even Babylon, with where it is today, it is still inhabited by people. The prophecies about the destruction of Babylon have not been fulfilled yet. So here's what I found out. The rest of the passages that have to do with Babylon aren't talking about the time of Daniel. They're talking about the mystery Babylon that's talked about in the book of Revelation. Does that make sense? 
So again, when Jesus returns, he's going to come back to destroy the Antichrist, that mystery Babylon, that final world ruler system. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the passage in Jeremiah that Daniel's reading makes that leap. Does that make sense? It starts out talking about the Babylon of his day. But what, what, we, what we realize now, looking back from this side of history, looking back, is that God was setting up that picture because he knew later on in the book of Revelation that he was going to be talking about a mystery Babylon. In other words, a final world system that's going to have similarities to the ancient world system. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. I don't know why, but my throat is so dry today, guys. Give me just a moment. <clears throat> yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Uh- yeah, looking at it in the Hebrew, the root of the word is Babel or Babel. Babel, yes. yeah. Would, wouldn't that connect back to Genesis 10, 10? Yep. And the Tower of Babel. And Babel means confusion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are in such a time of confusion where in the world... Dark is light and light is dark. Good is evil and evil good. I mean, you know, we're in a very upside-down world, and people are more confused than ev- Absolutely. ever. Absolutely. Some places where they no longer write male or female on the birth certificate. I mean, there's mass confusion. That's right. So I think, yeah, spiritually, there's a lot. <laughs> and also, too, if you want to, to make the leap and start thinking about, okay, if this hasn't been fulfilled yet, what, are there things happening today that give you the indication that it might be moving toward that direction? I think it is. I'm going to tell you right now, I want you to, to look up what's going on in the world right now, especially the Western world nations in this thing called the Great Reset. Okay? Uh, it, is a, it is a movement that is, that is being very successful, that is a kind of a one-world government. Okay? And, and that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. You take it back to the Tower of Babel, what was it all about? It was about everybody coming together with one language, one purpose, building this tower in defiance of God because they wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, if you go to the Great Reset and read what their goals are, guess what? It sounds like the Tower of Babel all over again. And by the way, one of the, nat- one of the symbols that they use is the Tower of Babel. So you want to take that as a coincidence if you want to, um, but I don't see it as a coincidence whatsoever. Um, I think that, uh, that we're moving to those days. I want you to write down these chapters for your notes. Um, Let's see, Isaiah chapter 13. We're not going to go over there, but I want you to write them down. Isaiah chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 14, Jeremiah chapter 50, Jeremiah chapter 51. Those four chapters have not been fulfilled yet. Every one of those chapters are talking about the Babylon that's going to be completely destroyed and uninhabited one day. That's the mystery Babylon, okay? So my point in all this here, Jeremiah chapter 25, 11 through 12, is that you have this dynamic where this prophecy is talking about these events, and they're very closely related to each other, prophetically speaking, but they're also very, very different. Um, let me give you another example of this. Um, this, is, this one might be a little easier to see. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4 with me. Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to go ahead and ask somebody else to read. So if you would like to read, let me know, please. Who's got it? You got it? All right, thank you. Hold on a second, Maria. Luke chapter 4. I just want to give you one more example of how this dichotomy works in Bible prophecy. You see it very clearly here. Okay, in Luke chapter 4, 
This is Luke's account of the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And one of the first things that he does is he goes into the synagogue of his hometown of Capernaum. And he's asked to get up and to read the scripture, right? And this was something that was done every single week in synagogue. It's still done today. It's the Torah reading, right? And so Jesus gets up and he takes a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he rolls through the scroll. Now, you would think that he is going there on purpose. It turns out that they had daily Torah readings just like the Jews do today. So I'll say it like this. It just so happened that the scripture that he read today was this passage, okay? So I don't think it was a coincidence. So Maria, if you would, um, would you please read Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30? Yes, ma'am. Now Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay. And so he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes and all the synagogue were fixed on him. Well, I'm sure they were fixed on Jesus. He just got through telling them, hey, guess what? Today, a prophecy from the book of Isaiah has been fulfilled in your ears. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Which is probably why they were so upset with him, too. Now, what was this prophecy stating? What was Jesus saying has, has come to pass? Just generally speaking, what are some of the things that have come to pass, he says? Okay, him being born, his message of salvation going out. Anything else? Now, let me read to you what Jesus did not read. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. So I want you to take your hand, go back in the Old Testament, and turn back to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to show you what Jesus did not read. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. This is exactly what he's reading, but he stops at a very key place. Watch this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. You hear that? Right there in the middle of one verse, without telling you, is the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now, what would have happened if Jesus had quoted the next part of that verse? The day of judgment would have started right then and there, folks. Aren't you glad he didn't read the next part of that verse? But my point is, is that prophetically speaking, they're connected, even though you don't necessarily see the whole thing fulfill all at one time. Okay. All right. Well, let's get back into it. Let's talk about these 70 years here. Go back to the book of Daniel with me. Daniel chapter nine. Any comments or questions before we go any further? Here. Let me, yeah, you got the. Thank you. For anyone who has or is struggling with depression, verse 3 has several words that address that. 
ashes, mourning, despair. Mm. Uh, and he says when he comes, it'll, he'll bring just the opposite of those things. Uh, crown of beauty, joy, and a garment of praise instead of despair. So there is hope mm-hmm. for anyone in here who is going through depression. And that hope is what came. Amen. Amen. And also, too, I'll add the fact that we know that, you know, people will say to me all the time, you know, if God is so good, why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow all these things? Folks, listen, the reason why there is coming a day of vengeance of our God is because there's coming a day when he's going to vindicate you, when he's coming to rescue you. When he's coming to make everything wrong that's ever been done as an injustice in your life, there is a day of recompense called the day of the Lord that is coming. And so that's why the Bible says don't don't take out anger yourself. Don't take out your own vengeance. Why? Because what does God say about vengeance? It's his. It's his. And so for the one who's oppressed, for the one who feels dejected, for the one who feels left out and less than, you know, this is why when, when it talks about the Messiah coming the first time, it says a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That was his attitude toward people who were hanging on the edge like that. But the promise of the day of vengeance should give you hope because he's going to come one day to make everything right. But I'm thankful he didn't quote the last part of that verse 2,000 years ago. Amen? Okay. All right, let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. So there's a lot of things Daniel's confused about, understandably so. Now, before we get back into the text, I want to show you something else. Actually, I'm sorry. I said Daniel 9, and I actually had one more thing I want to point out. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I had a Bible, I had a professor one time say, go back to 2 Chronicles. You know, it's back there where the pages stick together in your Bible a little bit. You know, people don't go back there too often. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I want to read verses 15 through 20. Now, 2 Chronicles was written after Daniel, okay? So 2 Chronicles, whoever put 2 Chronicles together, has the benefit of a little bit more history, a little bit more perspective. So what this person is doing is that he's looking back at the 70-year captivity. He's looking back at Daniel. He's looking back at how these things were fulfilled. And, And this tells us a little bit more of the story of the Babylonian captivity and the fulfillment of this prophecy in Jeremiah. So I want you to read with me verse 15, 2 Chronicles 15, or I'm sorry, 36, 15 through 20. Let's read it together. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, one of which was who? Daniel, of course, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words. And scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials." They set fire to his temple and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his successors. Listen carefully. Here it is. Until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests 
all the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the Lord, of the word of the Lord spoken by who? Jeremiah. See, pretty, pretty important prophetic passage, right? Now, what do we learn here? Well, we learned that one thing is, why did God give them 70 years? What was the reason for 70? That's right. Remember, they were, every six days, you have a seventh day rest, right? Um, every six weeks, there is a seventh week. Every six months, there's a seventh month. It, it's a cycle of sevens. Every six years, there is a seventh year. And on that seventh year, it's, called, it's a Shemitah. It's a series of seven years. Several of you who've been studying Jonathan Kahn know all about the Shemitah, right? Uh, Messianic Jews have been talking a lot about these things and helping Gentile Christians kind of understand things from a little bit more Hebraic standpoint. But the point is, is that every six years on the seventh year, you are not supposed to till your ground and plant crops and, and, uh, and, and, and get a harvest. God promised that in the sixth year, he would give a bountiful blessing so that the following year, you wouldn't have to do any of that, right? You weren't supposed to do anything in the land. Well, guess what? For 400 and, what, 430, 490 years, the entire time that they were in the land, they never observed it one time. So God says, okay, you know, you, you owe me 70. You owe me 70. And so he takes them to Babylon captivity, and he literally lets the land of Israel rest for 70 years. So, so this verse tells us the reason for the 70 years. But look at verse 20 again. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So if Daniel had been able to, to read that, he didn't get the benefit of being able to read 2 Chronicles because it came later. But if he had had the benefit of being able to read this, he would have been able to say, okay, okay, you know, the end of the prophecy must be when Persia comes to power. Remember, Darius is the Mede, right? Darius is a Mede. Who's coming to power a little bit later? After Darius dies, Cyrus takes over completely. So could it be that when Cyrus takes over, that that's the end of the 70-year captivity? Well, it turns out that's exactly what it's going to be. So when were the 70 years actually fulfilled? Well, I'm going to share this with you, and we're going to stop. And then next week, we're going to get back into Daniel chapter 9. I want you to turn with me to one more passage, because the Bible actually does tell us exactly when the 70 years were fulfilled. Turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. Again, this is one of those books that doesn't get read too often. Ezra chapter 1. Again, referring back to this Jeremiah's 70-year prophecy. Listen to this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, remember he comes after Darius, Darius the Mede, so the Persian takes over. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Do you see it? Isn't that exciting? Both of you think so. That's wonderful. Okay, good. So the, spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation through, throughout his realm and also to put it into writing. Verse 2. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judea and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may, be, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, 
The people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So it's not that God didn't have a specific time in mind. It's that he just didn't reveal it to Daniel. Does that make sense? So we know now, looking back through looking at some of the other scriptures in the Bible, that the 70 years was fulfilled when exactly? When Cyrus ascended to the throne. Exactly right. And it makes sense, right? Because what happened when Cyrus ascended to the throne? He gives the proclamation for them to go back home and to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, good. Huh? Was Daniel alive? No. No, a little bit later on, I think Daniel has already passed by this point. Um, this is the time of, of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, you know, those folks. Um, Daniel never goes back home. He, he dies there, uh, which is why there's a tomb of the prophet Daniel in Persia today. Well, not Persia, but Iran now. Uh, there's a tomb of the prophet Daniel there. Whether his tomb is actually still there, I don't know. It's pretty fascinating to me. Okay, have we had one bell or two? One? Oh, we got 20 more minutes then. Okay, let's go. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All right. Go back to Daniel 9 with me. We'll read a couple of verses, and then we're going to stop here. So in the first year, Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and sackcloth and in ashes. Now, in just a moment, he's going to begin praying probably one of the most earnest, heartfelt, intense, emotional prayers of repentance in all the scriptures. And, and I want you to ask, ask yourself a question this week, and, and this is the, the lead question I want to ask next week when we get back into this. Why does Daniel, as righteous as he is, and holy as he is, blameless as he is, why does he spend literally the whole first part, the first half, almost the entire chapter of the book of Daniel chapter 9, repenting? Not only for his sins, but also for the sins of his people. There is a reason, biblically speaking, that Daniel's doing what he's doing. I want you to search that out this week, and I want to see if you can find an answer to that question yourself. The answer is going to be in the Bible. It's actually going to be, I'll give you a hint, it's going to be in the book of Leviticus. That's one of your favorite books, isn't it? I want you to read the whole book of Leviticus this week, right, Terry? <laughs> okay, no, we'll start next week. Somebody had a hand over here. Yes, Pam. Thanks, David. I'm sorry, I forgot about it. Okay, yeah, so the question is, go ahead and read Daniel chapter 9 this week, right? But he spends a good chunk of this chapter repenting, and, and, and he's fasting, he's in sackcloth and ashes. That was something that the Jews did as a sign of deep humility. My question is, why is he doing this? He's righteous, he's blameless, but he's repenting on, for his sins, and he's also repenting on behalf of his people, Israel. I want you to ask the question, why is he doing that? And I'm telling you, there's a biblical answer, and you can find it in the book of Leviticus, I'm not going to tell you where, though. I'm going to let you, that's going to be your Easter egg hunt for the week, okay? And we'll come back next week and we'll talk about it. All right, let me pray over you real quick and we'll close. Father, thank you for the time that we've had. Thank you for the blessing uh, and example of the life of Daniel. Thank you for giving us a wisdom and, and a window of insight into prophecy. And God, I pray that you would help us to be like Daniel and see the prophetic times that we live in in our day and time. 
and to, to see so that we can live the life that we need to live regardless of what circumstances come our way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Yeah.